How great to have as our guest on the show this morning, the amazing Roger Stone. Roger is famous as a legendary political consultant, uh, advisor, strategist, operative, a man who played a key role in electing uh, Richard Nixon, Ronald Reagan, Donald Trump, who we'll be talking about today. Also probably the guy who elected George W. Bush. I don't know whether we should thank you for that, Roger, or not, but... Everybody makes a mistake once in a while. <laughs> so uh, Roger's newest book, and I'm going to mention his other wonderful books, is called The Making of the President 2016, How Donald Trump Orchestrated a Revolution. So Roger Stone is not only the first with a book on the Trump revolution, but is the key man to write it because this is somebody who's been a friend and advisor to Donald Trump for decades, uh, knows him very well as a man and is now a politician. And uh, let me just mention, we're also going to link to Roger's other great books, of course, on this podcast, The Man Who Killed Kennedy, The Case Against LBJ, a New York Times bestseller, one of my favorite books, uh, Nixon's Secrets, tells the story, among other things, about the truth about Watergate, The Clinton's War on Women, and his wonderful book on the Bush crime family. So, Roger, how did Trump do it? Well, yeah, I think you had a number of factors. Uh, one, the... Um, the American people finally reached a saturation point where um, voter dissatisfaction, voter anger, uh, voter sourness reached an all-time high. In the 40 years that I've been involved in American politics, I've never seen the voters so angry and so turned off by both parties, by the elites of both parties, by political institutions. But there's the most important part. By big media that they now have figured out is in bed with the establishment and just forwarding their narrative. Secondarily, I think we reached a tipping point in this country where the monopoly on the dissemination of political information held by the mainstream media has finally been broken. No longer are the three networks and the two cable stations uh, or the cable networks paramount. They don't control the narrative anymore. This, I think, is largely to do with the technological advances, the fact that more voters now getting their political information from their handheld device than from a television set. And that has brought them to a broader cross-section of news outlets, whether it's a Breitbart or a Daily Caller or a, or a StoneColdTruth.com or whether it's a, a dozen other you know, Infowars, for example, whether it's a dozen other outlets who are frankly doing better investigative reporting and reporting real news as opposed to fake news. And of course, they can't stand it. I mean, they're, they're gnashing their teeth, they're wailing on television every day about, uh, in effect, why they're not more important, what happened. But they, they all committed suicide, and uh, it's a great thing. Yeah, it's, got, it's getting really, really tedious. Does any voter care about whether Donald Trump wears a bathrobe when he's in the living quarters of the White House? I mean, what an outrageous turn of events. I mean, people don't have jobs. Kids are getting out of college and moving back in with their parents because there are no opportunities. Um, we're getting our tails kicked around the globe. We're doing a great job of financing and, and strengthening our enemies while we undercut all of our friends. We keep sticking our nose in foreign conflicts that are none of our business and where we have no inherent interests. War over Syria? Really? Assad's a bad guy, propped up by the Russians. 
He's financing Hezbollah. On the other side, you have ISIS propped up by the Saudis. Nobody's our friend. I encourage them to kill each other, but not worth a drop of American blood or a dollar of borrowed American money. Trump is for peace. Trump isn't soft on Putin. Trump's just not for thermonuclear war over Syria, which is where the Clinton neocon agenda leads. So they say, oh, he's in bed with Putin. He's not in bed with Putin, but he does favor detente. He'd rather sit down and see if we can't hammer out a deal to coexist in peace than to spend all our money on guns and tanks and planes and missiles rather than on roads and bridges and tunnels and hospitals and schools. It's a pretty simple choice to me. Roger, I'm glad you said detente because, of course, this was Nixon's, in my view, great achievement, detente with the Russians and uh, his opening to China. Um, how, how are you feeling? Obviously, it's far too early to judge the Trump administration at this point, but does, uh, can it really be true that Elliot Abrams might be nominated to be the number two at the State Department, or is this Trump playing with these people like he did with Romney and, and Bolton and some of the others? Well, I, I too was shocked to read that yesterday, although earlier I had seen his list on a, his name on a long list of potentials in the transition period, and I had tended to discount it. Um, look, Donald Trump has to keep faith with the people who elected him. If in the end he appoints um, a bunch of neocons, uh, what he's going to find is his policies are not being carried out. In fact, they're being countermanded. So that's a terrible idea. Uh, I am working with others to um, convince the president that it's a bad idea. Um, you know, everybody, many of my friends were distraught when he floated the idea of Mitt Romney for secretary of state. And that all worked out fine. So I wouldn't overreact to it, but I agree with you got to be one of the worst ideas I've ever heard. No, it's, it's, uh, it, it's alarming. And I, I must say, I never have liked Nikki Haley. And I, I like the idea of getting her out of the South Carolina governorship uh, and into the UN just to, I hope, to get her out of the way. But I was un unhappy about her first talk at the UN when she's attacking Russia, which seems to me, uh, one doesn't have to be a uh, Russophile, but one shouldn't be a Russophobe, it seems to me. And uh, you know, Washington said in the farewell address, we want friendly relations with everybody who wants to be friendly with us, trade with everybody who wants to trade with us, and so forth. But we, you know, we, we, don't, want, we don't want to have special enemies and special friends, for that matter, in other countries. Just put our own interests first. Well, and in fact, if there is a great danger in the world today, it's China, not Russia. Hacking? Believe me, the Russians are amateurs compared to the Chinese. You don't think the Chinese have a full consortium of Hillary Clinton's emails? You can bet that they do. There are real problems. They are far more warlike and antagonistic uh, than the Russians. Uh, it's interesting the way the mainstream media <clears throat> has kind of positioned the Russians as the, as the boogeyman. Ironically, when we thought the Russians under communist rule were the problem, the left ridiculed us. Oh, you, you're just a cold warrior. Uh, you know, it's, it's a weird juxtaposition. When I woke up on the morning of the inauguration to read in the front page of the New York Times that the CIA claims that they had intercepted email communications and financial transactions 
between the Trump aides, Roger Stone and Paul Manafort and the Russians, (laughs) I can tell you emphatically, absolutely, without any question, that's false. I don't even have an email I have to explain. I have no Russian connections whatsoever, no Russian clients. I don't know anyone in Russia. I haven't spoken to anyone from Russia or affiliated with Russia or representing Russia or a minute or a middleman for Russia. This is a canard. It's a total falsehood. John Brennan, the former CIA director, a traitor to the United States, a Wahhabist who was flipped when he was the station chief in Saudi Arabia, said before the election, he predicted the non-existent Russian hacking. Please, Jeff Sessions, get a task force working on John Brennan as soon as possible. Roger, I'm, I'm sure every country uh, does hacking. I'm sure the Chinese, being a very smart bunch, are good at it. But uh, isn't the U.S. the champion hacker of, in world history? Well, this is something I, I frankly liked uh, in this interview that uh, the president gave to Bill O'Reilly. Yes, we believe in American exceptionalism, but we don't claim we've never done anything wrong. We've done a lot of things wrong over the years. This idea that, that you know, that America is pure and perfect. No, no nation is perfect. While I think this is the greatest nation on earth, and I think that we adhere to the rule of law and the Constitution and the precepts of freedom better than any other nation, that's not to say that we're perfect and that we haven't been involved in dirty deeds and made major mistakes over the, over the, you know, the lifetime of the country. So uh, I thought it was refreshing to have a president admit the truth like that. And the, the media and the Republicans and the Democrats all went bananas over it. Well, because the, he, he so completely threatens the status quo. I mean, this is going to be very interesting going forward. We know that the Democrats will attempt to delay and retard the president's program in the Congress. But if the Republicans join them, it's time for Trump to start barnstorming individual congressional districts and recruiting primary candidates. Fix the Congress in the midterms. Mitch McConnell, if you want to stand in the way, then you need to resign. You need to get out of the way. In fact, I'm going to visit Kentucky for a rally demanding that Mitch resign. He's got the bully pulpit. He's not afraid of a fight. If you're not with me, you're against me. If you're against me, I don't care what your party is. I'm going to take you on. The the whole party thing where we don't criticize others in the party because they're wrong, that's fine for a career politician. People are about to find out that Trump is fearless. And he doesn't care about party. His nomination was the hostile takeover of the Republican Party for larger purposes. And um, if he, as long as he keeps faith with his voters, and as long as he continues to be Donald Trump unafraid and courageous, I think he could go down as one of our greatest presidents. Well, there's no question the Republican leadership is against him, uh, Paul Ryan. And, and uh, it was interesting to find out this morning that Ryan and Rubio and McCain and uh, the rest of these birds all uh, got significant contributions from George Soros, I guess not uh, not, not to be unexpected, Jeb Bush and, and the rest of them. So there's, I agree this is the only thing that Trump can do because, of course, they can block his tax cuts as they want to do. They can block a significant uh, improvement in Obamacare and all the other things that he would like to do. This is the only thing he can do is to go after them. 
And uh, my guess is the American people will applaud this. In a state like Kentucky, you'll get conservative Democrats who already like Trump will applaud it. All the decent Republicans will applaud it. The officials may not like it, but put, the, put a little bit of fear into them that there's going to be a significant backlash against them uh, if they take the side of the establishment. And of course, their establishment guys from the very beginning still are. Well, I am uh, was perplexed, frankly, when the president appointed Mitch McConnell's wife, the longest serving member of the Bush cabinet, as his transportation secretary. Frankly, if Mitch gets in the layup program, the president has authority to can her and you should not hesitate to do so. We'd have no trouble finding someone who could do the job as well as she does. She's a very nice lady, by the way. I think she's highly qualified. She just doesn't share the president's philosophy in any area. And this is hardball. Sorry, Mitch, I had to fire your wife. Also, her, her father, of course, is a very wealthy guy and owns a bunch of tankers, Taiwanese tankers. So it's, uh, it's always seemed an interesting question. I, I must say, I assume that the appointment of, uh, uh, of the transportation secretary was a deal with McConnell and he was going to act as he, for, the, for the first time in his life as he should act. But I, you know, that was apparently wrong. Well, I suspect that this was sold to the president this way. Look, Mr. President, if you appoint McConnell's wife, you'll have McConnell in your pocket. He'll have no choice but to support your program. He appointed uh, Mitch's wife, Lane Chow. Only days later, Mitch announced that he had total confidence in the CIA. That was the day to fire her. We just would pull her nomination back before she was confirmed and announce your your rally in Kentucky and ask people to fall to, to uh, turn out. Uh, I, I just really think as long as he has the bully pulpit and the backing of his coalition, he has more power than they do. He just needs to use it. I do find it kind of funny that this entire round in Washington about who's leaking Uh, This is very simple. We had a White House staffer tell the Washington Post last week that the president is like a clueless child. This is what happens when you let Reince Priebus choose your White House staff. This is what happens when you surround yourself with people who don't share your vision and have no loyalty to Donald Trump. As my father used to say, go to bed with dogs, wake up with fleas. Well, it's it's absolutely true. And and, uh... I th- I've always thought that um, McConnell was some kind of paper mache figure who could be easily taken down under the right circumstances. This would be the right circumstances. He could actually uh, be forced out of office. He could be defeated the next time he's up for the Senate if Trump were to do this. Well, and uh, you know, and frankly, one of the great disappointments that I had in 2016 is John McCain had a primary that was uh, competitive. And instead of endorsing John McCain, Trump should have visited Phoenix, publicly endorsed his opponent three days before the primary, and this senile crank would be gone. He'd probably be a lobbyist by now. (laughs) So, you know, there's a missed opportunity, in my opinion. But the sooner the president figures out that Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell and the Republicans, both House and the Senate, with very few exceptions, are not his friends— and he's going to have to clean house in the Republican Party, I think the better off he is going to be. He cannot be afraid to tilt at his own party if it comes to that. 
No, and in fact, I, it even occurred to me, and this has always been a, a favorite subject of mine, and I'm admittedly a lot more radical than uh, virtually everybody else, but there's nothing in the Constitution giving the courts the right to declare a constitutionality of laws. I mean, Trump gets to interpret the Constitution too. This was, this was Jefferson's view. It's the, it's the view of that the president has a role, the Congress has a role. He thought the courts had a role, but the idea that the courts are the sole judge of uh, constitutionality is just, again, something just made up. I agree. Go on television, say the American people. The judge wants to open the country to terrorists. I say block the terrorists. Therefore, I'm calling on the Congress to impeach the judge. Here's your congressman's <laughs> number. Let him know. Yeah. Th that's the stark choice, folks. Open the country to terrorists or support my, my temporary ban. Those are the choices. The president has the right to frame it. That's what I would do, knock this judge off. I remember when um, no one had ever challenged the re-seating uh, of a California Supreme Court judge until conservatives in that state got together and knocked off Rose Byrd. Yeah, I remember. You know what happened? Suddenly the other judges started behaving themselves and ruling in a more reasonable and common sense manner. You want to uh, strike fear into the heart of federal judges? Remove the first one. Then watch what happens. <laughs> that, uh, that would definitely be a lot of fun. And uh, already Trump has, of course, with your help, sent the entire left on the longest crying jag in history. Uh, but they would definitely be flipping out if something, if you were to do any of these things we're discussing, they would be uh, calling him Hitler, but they were already calling him Hitler. Look, once the 650,000 new emails that were discovered in the closing days of the campaign are publicly revealed, and that will happen because although the FBI and the Justice Department may be considering a cover-up, Sadly for them, some folks at the New York Police Department retained a copy of the entire file, and they wisely sent it to one libertarian-oriented conservative Republican member of Congress. Cover-up will not be possible. Bill and Hillary, and probably Chelsea, they need to do some hard prison time. Uh, regardless of what the president said prior to being sworn in, there's new information, and on that basis, I frankly think the Clintons will have a hard time avoiding prosecution. Wow. That would be a lot of fun. Well, it's justice. I mean, I have seen some of these emails, and I must tell you, they when, when Comey says we reviewed them and there's nothing there, he proves that he continues to be a stone-cold liar. I've seen some of these emails. There is evidence of treason, self-dealing, corruption sexual exploitation of children. This is ugly stuff. This is the Clintons, you know, unvarnished. Uh, this is their worst nightmare. In all honesty, I think Huma Abedin, Congressman Anthony Weiner's wife, kept this 12 of emails as her protection file, as her blackmail file. If the Clintons ever had any thought of getting rid of her, they would think twice when they realized what she had. Well, that would make me think a little bit better of Huma Abedin. Well, it shows that she's at least smart, but she's a, she's a party to most of these transactions. Oh no! Uh, and it's interesting to see the way it's interesting to see the way many of the Clinton people turned on her at the end, as if, as if the defeat of Hillary Clinton was her fault. One of the things I focus on in the book, the Making of the President, twenty sixteen, is the way Trump borrowed a page from Harry Truman. Uh, and closed very strong 
by barnstorming the country, particularly Democratic strongholds like Michigan and Wisconsin, Western Pennsylvania, doing five, six stops a day. Yeah, amazing. 70-year-old man leaving 20-year-old reporters in the dust. Uh, and uh, the way he closed strong. Meanwhile, Hillary was in Chappaqua in her pajamas looking at the swatches to pick out the fabric for the curtains in her new Oval Office. Uh, he simply outworked her in, a, in what can only be called an example of sheer physical will. I mean, Donald Trump would tell you, and has said this to me many times, I'm not a hard worker, I'm a smart worker. But he disproved that himself. I have never seen a physical effort like this with the exception of uh, Nixon's attempt to close in 1960, where he outworked Kennedy in the close, driving himself literally into physical exhaustion. And as you know, he won that race by a sliver, and they had to steal it from him. Despite yes, a whole yeah. series of mistakes early in the campaign, debating, uh, bumping his knee in a car door, and having an, an infection that kept him in the hospital for two weeks after Labor Day, uh, a whole series of mistakes, he still closed fast and won that race, and they had to steal it from him in both Texas and Illinois, not one, but both. Other than that close, I've never seen a closer like Trump. This was a superhuman physical effort, and frankly, I think it made the difference in Wisconsin and Michigan and therefore in the election. Well, it was astounding. All these, all these uh, um, rallies of his were astounding. Uh, thousands and thousands of people at each one couldn't get in. I mean, not only were they uh, seating packed, uh, there were thousands of people, and of course, the left was its usual violent self. Uh, but Roger, tell me, as, as you know, of course, the left ever since the French Revolution has had a history of horrendous violence. Uh, we seem to be seeing more and more of it in this country now. I think, for one thing, that that solidifies Trump's support and maybe garners him some additional support when people see what happened in Berkeley and other places. But where do you think that's all headed? I mean, the whole the violence question: Do we face more of it? What's, what's ahead on that front, the violent anti-Trump movement? Well, I mean, uh, sadly, from a political point of view, I tend to agree with you, meaning in this case, polarization is good for Trump. The more the left misbehaves, the more they protest, the more they burn and riot and, and, and resort to violence. I think it merely solidifies his base in the country of decent, honest people who are fed up with these brats. Uh, we have to hope, of course, that what doesn't happen is we just descend uh, into anarchy, because if we do, frankly, as the supporters of the Second Amendment, our people are armed and they're not afraid to use weapons. Their people have been skewing weapons and been trying to take our firearms away from us for a long time. That's why the first goal of, of leftist big government is always to try to take away our guns. I'm not advocating that. Let me be clear. But the American people will take so much. And if the rule of law ever collapses, well, then patriots will have to do what they have to do. Well, Roger, it's great to have had you on the show this morning. I want to recommend highly to everybody the making of the president 2016. Roger Stone, of course, has, has a long and uh, very important reputation for his political work. Who knew he was also a great writer? And I guess I wasn't uh, able to see any of your internal memos, Roger, to your various candidates. But uh, this book, his book on the killing of JFK, Bush crime family, the truth about Nixon, and uh, the truth about the Clintons, and uh, 
from your lips to God's ear, Roger, about uh, more information coming out on the Clintons. So thanks for all you're doing. Keep doing it. Keep advising the president on uh, exactly the sorts of things we've been talking about today. It's, it's wonderful to have had you on the show, and I appreciate very much your taking the time because I know how busy you are. Well, I feel blessed to be here today, and uh, I, of course, greatly appreciate your friendship. Um, we are this close to the New York Times bestseller list, despite every effort by the mainstream media to ignore this book. The, Wa- the Washington Post, uh, the New York Times, um, CNN, they all requested advanced copies, and they received them. Strangely enough, I don't see anything written about the book, and (laughs) the Times Review on book tells us they have no intention of reviewing the book. So I have to do this the retail way, uh, and I'm talking to as many folks on radio or podcast or anyplace else. Look, if two kids in Weehawken, New Jersey have a podcast, I should schedule it. (laughs) You know, I'm ready to talk to anyone. And so far, it's going very, very well. And frankly, today only helps. So again, many thanks. Well, your book is doing very well on Amazon, which I think is, frankly, more important these days than the New York Times in every sense. Uh, but keep it up. Keep writing. Keep speaking. Keep advising. And uh, you're a national treasure, Roger Stone. Many, many thanks. Delighted to be here. Bye-bye. Well, thanks so much for listening to The Lou Rockwell Show today. Take a look at all the podcasts. There have been hundreds of them. There's a link on the LRC front page. Thank you.